Today, if you will turn, um, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. Talked last week about 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And we're going to start in verse 6 today. Got the beard going? Huh? Everybody like it? Good job. All right. It'll be gone tonight. Just a little trial and error thing. First Peter chapter one, starting with verse six. It says this in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your word. There is no doubt, God, there are things that are difficult as we read through your word. But but the thing that we just are amazed by is your love for us. In all of it, it's just this outpouring of love that you have for us. And, And God, we are grateful and Lord, I pray that as we look at your word today, that you would speak and your spirit would move and God, that you would convict and that you would change our hearts where we need to be changed. And God, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. God, that your spirit would do its work and sanctify us, make us more like Christ because of this time and because of how we respond to your word. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Well, Peter, remember, um, and we're going to remind you several times okay i'm going to remind you a lot on this through this book because it is crucial who peter is writing to remember peter is writing to churches what's that scattered churches exiles okay they are being persecuted they're being beaten all of these things because of their faith in jesus christ and because they've been misplaced and here they are in the midst of these people where they have no family they have no friends they have no one that's like wrapping their arms around them and saying hey that's cool what you guys believe. You know, it's not like there's tolerance where they're at. And they are being persecuted. And so Peter writes this letter to these churches as an encouragement to them. And we can learn from it. Okay. And so today, as we go into it, we want to remember that again. Who is he writing to and what is the circumstance? These are people who are being persecuted for the faith and their belief in Jesus Christ. And so he starts off this section. He's continuing from the last. Okay. This is all one letter. And don't forget that. Okay. Those um, those little headings, I don't know if your Bible says it, but above verse 3 it says, born again to a living hope. And then above 13 it says, called to be holy. And those are for us, they've been added later on. Remember, this is one letter. If, if you got a letter, you wouldn't like divide it into sections. It's all one context, okay? And that's why we keep reminding you, what is the, what's the whole context here and what's going on and all that, okay? So this is all piecing together. It's one letter that Peter's writing. But he says in verse 6, he says, in this you rejoice. Now let's start off with this. The Greek for rejoice there is not just rejoice. It is exceeding great rejoicing. All right. It's a, it's a word that means we rejoice in a way that is not conditional on circumstances. Nothing that comes my way, nothing will interfere or change the fact that I am rejoicing. That's what Peter's talking about here. Okay. So he says to the people, he says, you rejoice in this You rejoice, you greatly rejoice. Now we have to find out what is in this. You know, if he's talking about in this, we rejoice. It goes back to last week, 
verses 3 through 5, okay? In this you rejoice. And so what it's saying is, and we can pull it apart, he says, in this you rejoice. The fact that he has caused you, verse 3, to be born again to a living hope, we greatly rejoice. There is a joy inside of us that cannot be diminished or increased by any circumstance. It is a great joy that we have because Jesus has, or God has caused us to be born again. The next part. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because, God, you have raised Jesus from the dead, I greatly rejoice. There's this joy inside of me that is, like, amazing, and there's nothing that will change that because of what you did, God. You raised Jesus from the dead. The next part, it says, you raised him from the dead, what? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that's kept in heaven for you, for me, for all of us that believe in Jesus Christ. And so we look at that, and again we say, ah, you know, I, I'm, there is a joy that's inside of me. I'm rejoicing, not just because you caused me to born, be born again, not just because you raised Jesus from the dead, but because you have kept this undefiled, imperishable, incredible, amazing inheritance for me in heaven. And so I rejoice over that. What's the next part? He says he keeps this for us, and then, who, us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He keeps the gift for us and he keeps us for the gift. Okay? He keeps the inheritance for us and he keeps us for the inheritance. And we look at these things. Now, remember last week, what was our response to those things? Peter said we should have a response to those things. What is it? Good. Worship. Very good. I mean, right on. Um, okay? worship is our first response as we look at those things god you caused me to be born again you raise christ from the dead you have this inheritance that's for me and you have kept it for me and not just that you are keeping me and guarding me for this inheritance and so because of that my first response is god blessed be your name I worship you. I thank you. I am incredibly grateful. And there's praise that just comes from me because of these things that you have done. The second response that Peter says is this incredible rejoicing that comes from my heart and my life. It's a rejoicing that... Now, remember, who is he talking to? Who's he talking to? Yesterday, when you were beaten, as they're reading this letter, yesterday, when you suffered because of the name of Jesus Christ... There was this great joy that came from you that cannot be changed by any circumstance. That's what Peter's saying. Even in the midst of persecution, there's this great joy that is in your life because of these things, because of what Christ, because of what God has done for us. Man, are we living a life of joy? Is our, if Peter wrote us a letter today, like here he is, you know, we get this letter and it's to the church Cornerstone Community Church of Powell, Ohio. And I opened it up this morning, and like, here we go, guys. You know, the Apostle Peter, pretty cool. Like, heavenly writing, all this stuff. Wrote us a letter this morning. We're going to read that instead of the sermon. And right off the bat, what's he say? Is he going to say, man, your joy is inexpressible. You have this joy in your lives that is just incredible because of what God has done for you. Is that what the letter would say about me and about you? Is that what would characterize our church? That's what he's saying. Your church is characterized by this rejoicing because of what Christ has done for you in spite of what you're going through. And that's the next part that he says here. In this you rejoice. In all of these things you rejoice and you worship. 
Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, when it says that you've been grieved by various trials, it's not the grieving that we're thinking. It's not this that they're grieving and there's a time of that they're not rejoicing. He's already clarified in the midst of all these trials, there's this unchangeable joy that's going on in their hearts, okay? But it's, the, it's what they're going through. It's the trouble that they're going through. And it says, if necessary. Now, that's important. We're not going to go on a long thing, but it kind of ties into this whole God's in control and God does everything. If it says, if necessary, and you have been, then that means there's someone that's causing it. When you look at the life of Job, when you look at James, when you look at all the things about persecution, God is the one that's causing it for them. Okay? God is the one that's taking them through this time of difficulty. God, why? He's going to go on and talk about that in a second. But what he says is, though now for a little while. What he's saying is, rather than allowing these trials and persecutions to steal their joy and our joy, we ought to respond thinking back of what the joy is hooked to. What is the joy attached to? My joy is attached to what God has done and what he is saving for me. My joy is attached to the fact that I look across to the other side of the trial, first of all, and I see the reward that is on the other side that God has kept for me and that God is going to keep me through the trial for that reward. Not just that, I look at the trial as gain. I look at the trial as something that God might have for me. Because what does he say after this? He says, even though you've been grieved by various trials, so that God did it so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the, uh, excuse me, in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. Couple things we want to talk about. When it talks about gold being refined, has anyone ever seen that happen? Anybody ever seen like someone just take even a small piece of gold and like that process of refining it? It is incredible. I mean, go get some gold, all right? I know all of you would love to, but you've got to find somebody who has like a piece of gold and do this. It is the coolest thing. I had someone do this for me one time several years back. What they do is they burn it, like they make it really hot and they put it like if. The, the amount that we did was like in a spoon, all right? I'm not talking like stacks of gold here, all right? But in the spoon, and they light the bottom of it, and it makes this intense heat and more and more and more and more and more and more so that the gold begins to what? Melt, right? Well, when the gold melts and it's under this intense heat and in this intense fire, what happens is all of the particles, all of the dirt, all of the impurities inside the gold, gold they rise to the top. And so as that happens the gold is scraped, or the impurities are scraped from the top of the gold, and that continues until all of the impurities, if you do it long enough, all of the impurities will rise to the top, and you can get it completely clear, clean, so that it is shining so brightly, you can hardly look at it. It is incredible. Like, you look at this piece of gold, and it's, ah, okay, you make a decent ring out of that or whatever. And then when they're done, it's just shining this bright gold. And what it's talking about, it's referring to the process that God takes us through. With these trials, we look at the trial and we see, you know what? There is a refining process that's going on in my life. There is a good process that's going on in my life. And this trial is meant for good. 
so that as I go through it and I am tested and I am burned and all of these things, what's happening is, is I remain faithful as I remain joyful, as I cling to the promises of God, as I cling to what he has done in my life, what happens? Those impurities begin to rise to the top. There is no room for sin when we're in the midst of that stuff. There's not. Like all of that begins to come to the top and God, God begins to clean it off and clean it off and clean it off until there's this clear reflection of what? Himself. Himself. And that's the goal. And I'm telling you, that does not come by comfort. That does not come by just making things so wonderful and easy for ourselves. It's those trials that God takes us through that we rejoice in. And we say, you know what? There is good in this trial. There is good because right now there's a refining process that God is doing in my life to make me look more like him. And secondly, the end result is what? What does it say here? So that. The result, uh, we may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That praise, glory, and honor is not, is not focused on Jesus Christ this time. It's on me. What it's talking about is that the end result, when I stand before God, then he is going to draw attention for a time to me. He's going to praise. You remember that whole goal in our life? Our goal in our life should be that we stand before Christ and we want him to say What? Well done. Good job. You did it. You lived the way that I wanted you to live. You did the things that I had set out in my word that I gave you. You did it. You didn't care what your neighbors thought. You didn't care what the people in your church thought. You didn't care if you looked way more weird than they did because you were more faithful to my word than they were. You didn't care. You did it. You lived this life of faithfulness and you went through persecutions rejoicing, thinking back of what I did and thinking ahead of what I promised. You did it. That's what our goal is. Man, I want so badly to stand before Jesus Christ and hear that. For him to say, well done. You didn't compromise. You didn't take the shortcuts. You didn't work your way around the trials. You went right through them because you knew that was where I was. You knew that well, that was where I was going to be with you. And you went through them and you were faithful, faithful, faithful. So it may be found in result, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, living a faithful life, living a faithful life is not going to receive, I'm not going to receive praise, I'm not going to receive glory, I'm not going to receive honor during that time. As I'm going through the trials, as I'm going through the difficulties, I'm going through life and living a life that is pleasing to God, it's probably not going to result in a lot of praise and honor and glory for Tony. It's not. It'll give a lot of attention to God. It'll give a lot of praise to God, and that's our goal. That's what we want through the whole thing. We're pursuing his fame and not our own. But in the end, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, what's he say? I'm going to reward you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to bring glory on you because of how you lived your life and how you responded to the situations that you went through on this earth. It goes on in verses 8 and 9. It says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. There's kind of a theme here, right? Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We've never seen him. We've never seen him. It says in spite of, of that, in spite of the fact you've never seen him, 
And in spite of the fact that you are in like the hardest situation right now, you believe him. You love him. You trust him. And all these things that he said, you believe it. Now, this is Peter. Remember Peter. Peter's the one that walked with Jesus. He did see him. He did walk with him. He did listen to him talk. And remember what happened. Peter gets into a trial. Peter gets called out. And what's he do? He bails. And Peter says, no, 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 no. But look at what you're doing. You haven't even seen him. You haven't even heard him. You haven't even spoken to him. You've never touched him. And yet you believe and you trust and you love. Is that us? Is that how we're living our life in the midst of good or bad? Are we responding with this unbelievable? That's what it says here. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That word inexpressible means what? We can't say enough. It's higher than speech. It's this joy that's in us that we could never put into words. If someone came up to me and, or you and said, you've got to explain this whole joy thing. Like, what's going on with you? Like, there's something weird and why so joyful all the time? It should be a joy that we just, we just got to point to Christ. It's something he's caused inside of me because all that he's done in my life, he changed me. It's not this joy that I'm putting on myself and I get into situations where there's non-believers and so, ah, you know, and I'm, and I come to church and I'm, ah, and then I close the door to my house and my kids are like, what in the world were you out there? Like, you know, it's not that at all. It's this real, genuine, inexpressible joy. Joy that comes from knowing God. Joy that comes from a relationship with him. Joy that comes from knowing what God has done for us on our behalf. And joy that comes from knowing what he has in store for us. And it's, we can't even say enough about it. And it cannot be taken away from us. Man, is that the letter that's written about Cornerstone Community Church? Or is this just a specific, you know, this Peter just written for... This time is not meant for us, for sure. Guys, why, why, why do we struggle with having that kind of joy? I'm going to give you two possibilities, okay? Maybe this is about you. Maybe it's not, all right? But two possibilities. Why I think we struggle with this. And we see them both in this passage. Why don't we have that joy? Look what it's hooked to. I mean, look honestly. What is their joy attached to? Two, it's to God and everything that he's done and everything that he's promised and nothing else. And here's what I fear. Here's what I fear is that in our lives, we have added so many things. We have bought into so many things. We have bought so many things and built so many or, or, or set aside so many treasures for ourselves here on earth. And this is something, man, I've struggled through this weekend, this, this summer. And just talking to Shauna and Corey and others and just, you know, and, and man, are there so many things in my life that I have added for comfort, that I have added to make my life better, that I am building my kingdom on earth so much that heaven is not really an upgrade in my mind and my heart. I'm not living in a way that I look towards heaven and I rejoice greatly because it's an upgrade. No, I'm striving and struggling to make my life as comfortable here, right? I'm making my life as comfortable. I'm going to add as much. Oh, like that new car's out. 
let me look at that for a little bit and, and realize how bad mine is now because it's a year old or, or, oh, that new thing came out and this came out. And we look at, we look at stuff and that's what happens, right? We become discontent. And all of that is this comfort that we're putting around ourselves. And honestly, guys, we have to evaluate, is heaven an upgrade for us? In my heart and in my mind, do I look at heaven and my heart just beats with rejoicing because I realize it is so much better. It's so much better. And because I'm living a life that God would be pleased with, the second part of that is trials. Are we just adding things to our life? Are we just adding comforts to our life? Are we just buying more and more stuff and investing in our own kingdom and ourselves so that we don't have trials? I mean, let's be honest. If bad things come into our life, I mean, you even hear it on TV sometimes. You better look and see if there's sin in your life. Oh, you're sick? You better check and see if there's sin in your life. You know, oh, your brother's sick? Well, is it, what's he doing? What's his life like? Maybe there's sin in his life. Maybe God's getting him back. Huh? You know? And that's kind of the way we think. We turn on the TV and there's these preachers here that like, oh, you're poor? You're in debt? Oh, good grief. It's because you don't have faith. I mean, that's obvious. You know, if you had faith, if you believed, you would be totally wealthy. You'd have lots of cars. You'd be rich, right? Where do we get that? That's just us building our comforts up. It's not biblical. You look at the New Testament. You know what's biblical? This is a great verse, all right? Here's a memory verse for this week. Second Timothy, all right? Turn there, okay? Second Timothy. This is the Apostle Paul writing now, okay? So it's not Peter. It's not that Peter has an issue all right? This is actually Paul talking too, all right? This is Paul in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12. How about Timothy is good too, all right? Thank you so much. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. I'm going to wait a second for all those people that started flipping back to 2 Peter when I said that, all right? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12 says this. This is Paul. Good grief. My mind is Peter right now, all right? Here we go. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says this. Paul says this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. What? Well, that's not true because I don't get persecuted. So there, Paul, you're wrong. Every person who wants to live, who desires to live a godly life. Now, let me, okay, let me remind you what we talked about first week. This is not about seeking trials and seeking persecution. It is about seeking a godly life. And I just have this feeling if we were seeking a godly life, maybe our lives wouldn't look the same. Maybe our driveways wouldn't look the same. Maybe our houses wouldn't look the same. Maybe our checkbooks wouldn't look the same. Maybe our friends wouldn't look the same. I mean, look at the life of Christ. His heart broke. Look at the early church. I'm not going to go into it, man. My, I'm telling you, man, I've been ruined on this passage this week. And, like, there's so many things in my heart and my mind. And, and I'm going to encourage you, okay? Cornerstone Community Church, Simi Valley, California, okay? It's the church that this church came out of. CornerstoneSeeMe.com, S-I-M-I. Really easy to remember, right? CornerstoneSeeMe.com. You got to download last week's sermon, all right? Kind of a follow-up on this and pretty hardcore stuff, but all right? But let me, add, let me ask you honestly, 
Are we seeking to live a godly life? Paul says if we're really seeking to live a godly life, if we're seeking to live a godly life, what that means, just kind of dumbing it down, is I'm looking to live the way the Bible tells me to live and God wants me to live. Just like that. Not that makes me fit in with my neighbors. Not that makes me fit in with my coworkers. Not so that I can just debate with my coworkers and say, yeah, I bought that too. It's not that. We're not setting out to live a life like that. We're setting out to live a life where God says, you did it. You did it. You didn't care what people thought about you. You didn't care what the end checking account looked like. You didn't care. You just cared about me and you focused on what I did for you and what I promised you. And look at the joy that you found in between. So many times I think our joy is gone because we are busy trying to get the things that we think are going to give us joy instead of giving those things and finding joy. Does that make sense? We're trying to acquire so much stuff so that we get more and more joy when God says, give it, give it, give it, give it, give it, give it. And in that, you will find joy. And it may not be this easy, wonderful, happy, you know, skipping along through life and it may not be. And maybe people will look at you and go, you're a freak. Maybe some do anyway. You know? And maybe they think that. Who cares? If God looks down on me and is, well done. You didn't care what he said. You didn't care what they responded like. You didn't care. And you didn't do it for attention from men. You did your life for attention from me. And there is joy inexpressible and filled with glory. And not just that, I have this incredible reward for you. Praise and glory and honor.